Rebel Radio presents The Culture. This is Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. Dom, welcome back to Rebel Radio. We have a special guest to this evening. Oh, let's bring this back. Fat Jesus. What? Welcome back. Hi. See, I got it right this time. <laughs> look at you. I know, look at me. I deserve a sticker or a cookie or something. But we have a special guest with us this evening. We have Keenan Jeter. Woo! Hello, welcome, hello. sir. Oh. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Yes. If you don't know, get familiar. We've been blessed by his presence before. He's joining us again. Has some new ventures and things and stories to tell us, I'm sure. But let's start off by you telling us your backstory from growing up in Baltimore. Sure. Uh, Of course, born and raised in Baltimore. Uh, Park Heights um, area, uh, born and raised there, still live in the, the Park Heights uh, community. Um, so that's that's my neighborhood that I represent, Westside Baltimore. Okay. Um, I guess everyone, when they say where they went to school, they don't really mention elementary, middle. You just go straight to high school. Um, so went to Poly uh, for high school. Um as a kid, you know, did some sports, did some baseball, some football, some swimming, some marching band, um, and then uh, stayed around in Baltimore, went to the University of Baltimore, um, down in the Mount Vernon area for college, went there for undergrad, uh, where I got my degree in jurisprudence, and also stayed there for uh, my master's degree, which I got that in public administration. Um, so Baltimore all the way, as you can see, I still live in Baltimore. I'm born and raised in Baltimore, and Baltimore is uh, it's home for me. All right. And of course, you had some um, political background in Baltimore as well. Yep. If you don't mind, if you can talk yep. about that. Um, so got my start in, I guess, my career in politics. Um, I started off as an intern uh, for a former state delegate. Um, guy by the name of Sean Tarrant. He represented the 40th uh, Legislative Maryland uh, District, which um, covered Park Heights. Um, so I interned for him for one year, worked for him a year after that. Um, then I went and became a fellow for um, former Mayor Stephanie Rollins-Blake, so did some work at City Hall. Um, after that, um, I left to go do an unpaid internship in D.C., um, for uh, former President Barack Obama, um, which was nice, um, and and I and I say I say unpaid because all my other experiences and internships and fellowships were paid, and uh, you know as us as, as Black folks, um, you know um, it's it's hard for certain people to do internships when they're unpaid, um, especially because you know whether it's 
paying a car or putting gas in the car, um, internships come with an expense. And so, you know, depending on what community you, you, you were raised up in, you know, doing an internship unpaid can be tough. And so uh, luckily for me, um, the unpaid internship at the White House was only an hour ride from, from Baltimore. Um, and so, you know, it didn't hurt my pockets too, too much. Um, but if you can imagine, you know, someone who is coming from across the country or whatever to do an internship in D.C. and is unpaid, that could be tough. I mean, you're talking about trying to find a place to live. You know, even if you are taking the metro every day, you know, all that adds up. And unfortunately, you know, that's why you don't see a lot of black uh, young folks doing internships in D.C. Because let's just be honest, um, we don't have... The, the, the financial means to be able to do that, whereas some of our white counterparts, they don't have the financial means, but they have mommy and daddy who just swipes the credit card um, and can get them a place. Um, so I, I just wanted to, 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 to note that. So that that was my only ever unpaid internship, um, but I did that because that was the first black president. Um, after that, stayed in D.C., went to Capitol Hill to work for former Senator Barbara Mikulski. Uh, did that for about less than a year. She announced she wasn't running again. And so anyone that's in politics, the moment your your boss said they ain't running again, you got to look for a new job. Um, so look, look for a new job and went to the state's attorney's office in Baltimore City um, and worked for Marilyn Mosby. I did that for about a year, um, left Marilyn Mosby and went to go work uh, uh, in the mayor's office for former mayor Catherine Pugh. Um, blessed enough that I left uh, Catherine Pugh's office before um, the whole uh, scandal that happened in the mayor's office. Um, I took a risk by leaving government and I went to uh, the campaign sector um, and worked on Senator Kamala Harris's campaign. Um, as any campaign, it's a risk, it's a gamble, but you're hopping on a campaign because you believe in that person, you believe in, 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 in their message and you think they're a good candidate for whatever office they're running for. And so she was my candidate for president, but unfortunately, you know, that didn't work out. So she ended that campaign. Um, and then I went to go work for Michael Bloomberg um, on his presidential campaign. And I will say this um, about Michael Bloomberg, for him to be a billionaire, I always tell folks this, um, he didn't come off as a billionaire. He was a very humble person to be around, very personable. And I shout him out because during the time I was working for Mike Bloomberg, um, my father died and he took it upon himself to personally call me and um, we spoke um, he, he made sure that I was good and so um, that meant a lot um, coming from um, Mike Bloomberg nevertheless left Mike Bloomberg um, joined the Biden-Harris campaign by that time she was announced as the, the VP running mate um, that campaign of course ended in, in November and then after that um, I went down to Georgia um, to work uh, for um, now Senator-elect John Ossoff. Uh, so that's a quick run through of, of what I've done in politics. I didn't, I know I didn't go into the specifics of what my title and job and all that stuff was, um, but that's just a quick uh, running through of uh, what I've done. Wow. wow. Impressive resume, sir. Appreciate it. Now question for, for the young people out there, how do you go about, I mean, as far as education and things of that nature, looking to be connected or get into politics? 
What is uh, the starting point for that? Again, for me, it was an internship. Um, and so if you're a young person that's trying to get into politics, the best way is, um, you know, find find an internship, find someone who could be your, you be your mentor and find that in an organic way. So for me, um, I, I was, I forget what year, maybe my second year of college. And so um, I had applied for a delegate scholarship um, for my delegates and senators uh, who represented me in the 40th district. And one of them, the guy, Sean Tarrant, required an interview. And so I went in, did a quick 10 minute interview. And the interview was, he just pretty much wanted to know his constituents. So it was, you know, him asking me, you know, where I went where I went to high school, you know, what do I like about, you know, the college that I'm in, you know, what's my career goals, this, that, the third. So it was a very informal um, interview. Um, and out of that interview, at that time, I was doing web designing as like a side business. And in my interview, I told him, like, hey, you know, I do web designing as a side business. And he was like, well, I'm getting ready to run for re-election. I need a new website. And he was like, what are you doing tomorrow? I'm like, nothing. He was like, well, I'm having a fundraiser tomorrow at Miss Shirley's. Here's a complimentary ticket. You could come by. The fundraiser is tomorrow at 6 a.m. Now, I'm a college student. I don't get up at 6 a.m. And I tell you this story because as young people, we have decisions we have to make. And sometimes we block our own blessings because we don't get up. And... I never got up at six o'clock in the morning my whole four years of college. And so here I have this guy who says he needs a, a website. He just learned that I do websites. He has invited me to a free fundraiser that at that time it was going to have Lieutenant Governor Anthony Brown as a special guest, but it's six o'clock in the morning at Miss Shirley's. I have two options. I could either sleep and not go and miss out on my opportunity, or I can wake up and make sure I'm at that breakfast at six o'clock in the morning. And so, you know, those are decisions we have to make in life. You know, again, I, I didn't know what was going to come out of going to that breakfast at six o'clock, but I knew this guy saw something to me that he invited me to come to the six o'clock breakfast. So nevertheless, I got up and I was there at six o'clock in the morning. I didn't know nobody in the room. I was probably shy. I did probably go up to Lieutenant Governor Anthony Brown, shake his hand, speak. Um, but what that did was it showed to Delegate Tarrant that I was serious um, and that I didn't waste his invitation. And nevertheless, long story short, um, he was the person who became my mentor. He was a person who I ended up interning for. And it all started off of a, an informal interview where he learned that I knew how to do web designing. He was looking for someone who can do web designing. And before he gave me that job, I look at it as he tested me by saying, can I get up six o'clock in the morning and get to this event? Um, so, you know, I would say for anyone that's trying to get into politics, you know, do it through an internship, get to know your elected officials, um, you know, don't ask them, hey, can you be my mentor? It should organically happen um, in, in, in some type of way. But you're going to come, you're going to face a point where you have a decision of do you do this or do you stay in your, your comfort zone? And again, for me, it was do I get up six o'clock in the morning or do I stay in the bed? And I got up six o'clock in the morning. And that has been a good decision that I made. Wow. And that can go across the board with most things. If you want to do anything, you got to get up a yeah, bit yep. Yep. <laughs> and get to it, you know, and that's a definite 
life lesson for anything. And, and people judge you on that. Again, you know, I just, I think about, you know, what if I didn't go? And I needed something from him. Or, you know, the next year I'm applying for his delegate scholarship. And he remembers, oh, you know, you, you didn't you didn't come to the, the event that you said you were going to come to at 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, so, you know, some, some, sometimes we got to do things that are not comfortable, that are out of our comfort zone in order to get what we want and get to where we're trying to get to. So. You have anything, Fatty? Uh, okay. Yes, I do. <laughs> oh, I'm with you working on a lot of these uh, for these political figures. How how is it like, uh, especially for somebody that's a, technically you're a millennial, right? Mm-hmm. Technically yeah. you're a millennial, so a lot of times you will be you will end up being not the youngest, but one of the younger people on the staff. How how was that, especially bringing your opinions to the staff with like being the youngest one, like kind of representing millennials? Yeah, good question. So I would say in the beginning for me, um, I knew I wanted, I guess, to be in this lifestyle of, of politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me in the beginning, it was it was to learn. And so I think for any young person or any new person trying to get into politics or any career, you should go in into you should go in it with the mindset of your first couple of weeks, days, or months, you are to be learning, right? Right. Um, so for me, when I went and interned for him in a general assembly, I didn't know what the general assembly was. Um, but by the time it was over, the 90 day session was over, I was an expert in it. And I and I can say I was an expert in it because I went there to learn. So I would say that's the that's the first piece, you know, as any new person, whether you're millennial or not going into any new environment, you should go in there with a mindset that you don't know everything and you're there to learn. Mm-hmm. But to really answer your question, you know, you know, being a millennial and how do you have a say of things? Again, once you have learned enough, then you figure out how to exercise your voice, right? Um, and part of exercising your voice is knowing when to speak and not to speak. Like everyone thinks, you know, just because you're at the meeting, you're at the table, that you gotta, you have to talk. You know, someone told me that you can always tell who the dumbest person in the room is because they opened up their mouth. Um, sometimes, you know, just sitting there not saying anything, no one knows if you, if you know what your intellectual level is or not. But the moment you open up your mouth and say something stupid, people don't remember. Well, God dang, they don't know what they're talking about. They open up their mouth and they and they say something. So, so sometimes like, I say that to say you don't have to go in the room saying something. You can listen. And my personality is I'm someone that listens. I observe. I take it all in. And I do that because. When I do open up my mouth, I want to make sure I'm speaking um, correctly. I'm speaking with the authority that I need. And again, if you don't know what's going on and you just start opening up your mouth, you know, that could come off to people as, you know, hey, why, why are you even in the room and you don't know what you're talking about? So a part of it is knowing when to talk, when and not to talk. Secondly, to add to that, um, you also have to understand that if you've been invited in the room and you've been invited to the table, um, you're there for a reason. And so at the same time of, you know, knowing when to speak, the flip side of that is knowing that if you don't speak, you right at the table, right? So as I'm this young person, yes, I'm learning. Yes, I'm 
waiting my turn to speak. Yes, I'm making sure what I say is smart. It's you know, it's it's correct. But I'm also understanding that I have a clock that's up against me. And if I'm in an hour meeting and we're down to the last five minutes and I realize I haven't spoken, I need to figure out how to get something in because otherwise I wasted my time sitting at the table, sitting in the room if I never spoke. Um, so I, I know it's like it's, 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 it's a double edged you know, sword or whatever. It's knowing again when to speak and knowing when not to speak. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, you know, being a, a millennial, being at the table, being with folks who are more experienced than me, it's great. Um, it can be scary. But at the end of the day, you, you've been invited to that conversation. Just just take it in. Know when not to say something and know when to say something, because at the end of the day, you were invited to the conversation. You were invited to the table. Um, and so you were invited because someone values you, values you um, in some point, some way. So. For me, um, you know, again, I went in with a learning mindset. I went in understanding that I don't know everything. Um, but I also understood that I had to speak up before my time ran out. And to have that determination and that mind frame to chase your dreams and to keep going. And, and, and to add to it. Um, yeah. A lady by the name of um, uh, Alicia Wilson. Um, she um, is an African American attorney in Baltimore. She used to work for Sagamore. She wrote. She wrote a great op-ed talking about her as a black lawyer being the only black person in the room, and how when you're the only black person in the room, you know you have to say something. And you hear you, you've heard over the last couple of years, you know, whether it was with clothing lines or Fortune 500 companies that clearly didn't have a black person at the table because they made stupid mistakes or they could have had a black person at the table but that black person didn't speak up and so I add to that to say sometimes as black folks we will be the only in the room and for her story that's the op-ed that she wrote she talked about how she was the only woman at the table and the only black person at the table so she represented two minorities right and how she had to understand the fact that she had a seat at the table she had to speak up. And so I say that because there will be times as black folks, we may be the only, the only black person at the table. The only male, at the, I mean, well, most likely will never be the only male. But you may be the only black person at the table. You may be the only black woman at the table. You may be the only black like LGBT person uh, at the table. And when you are the only, you have to step up and you have to say something because you are the only at the table um, and so I just wanted to add that point that there, there may be times you know as, as black folks we may be the only and when you are the only don't be afraid to speak up um, because you're representing so many other folks that look like you that are not at the table mm-hmm. not Mike after that <laughs> I mean look at it from my point of view <clears throat> system millennium I'm not trying to gas you up here like literally you were a part of either the campaigns or the the people that literally had like the three biggest uh basically i guess elections at that time or yeah. like madam that vice president now because by the time this come out <laughs> um you you had obama the obama administration you had uh 
Georgia State runoff. Like literally, those are like the three biggest ones that's going to shape help shape our uh, next few next couple. I'm gonna say years to come. Yeah. Yeah, years to come. I um now I, I noticed that you were saying something about being the black voice in the room and like being a part of these campaigns, uh, especially like uh, <laughs> campaigns, of, especially like with uh, Miss Madam Vice President. Um, how was was it different? Was it special? And especially like how did because you were able to see from the side like how how was it that like black people saw her like because like it's almost like you're looking up or what was it? So so I I can say that campaigns have changed over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think campaigns ten plus years ago. Um, you, you you saw African Americans on the campaign, but you probably didn't see them in you know leadership roles or whatnot. Um, you know, for me working on then Senator uh, Kamala Harris's primary campaign, one of the the great things I enjoyed about that campaign was it was very diverse, um, and it was also diverse in leadership. And I say that to say because you know a lot of folks can say, oh, you know, my job is diverse, but that may be true, but then you don't got no diverse people in leadership, which means no one and no one with, with a diverse background making decisions. So Senator Harris's campaign was very, very diverse. My supervisor, um, so I was in the advanced department. My supervisor was the first African-American woman to serve as a director of advance for any presidential campaign. Um, so talk about diversity. I mean, black woman in leadership overseeing a, an, an advanced department. Um, so that that was the, the, the biggest thing that I appreciated about Senator Harris's um, primary campaign was it was a diverse campaign. It looked like the country. There was women. There was a uh, folks from the AAPI community, Latino community, Hispanic community, um, the LGBT community, African American community. Um, it looked like the country. Um, and you know, could folks say that? 10, 15, 20 years ago about campaigns. I mean, I don't know. I was on those campaigns. Um, but, you know, to, to be on one that was that diverse, it meant a lot um, to me. Um, same thing with uh, um, with uh, President, um, Vice President Joe Biden when he, when he picked her up as his um, VP nominee and I joined that campaign. Again, a diverse um, campaign that looked like the country, especially when you looked at the Trump administration that, you know, I remember watching something on the news one day and they asked uh, one of the press secretaries, like, hey, you know, can you name a black person that's in senior leadership up here in the White House? And the reply was Ben Carson. Ben Carson was the, he's a cabinet secretary. He don't work in the White House. And so that told me that they didn't have no black people working up in the White House, right? That they had to say Ben Carson, who wasn't in the White House, he was a cabinet secretary. Um, and so, you know, again, the Biden campaign, diverse. It looked like the country. Um, and so, you know, so 2020, I think, you know, was a year for people from, you know, um, from diverse backgrounds to, to be able to have a say, to be able to work um, because it, uh, it, it was embraced. And you see that in how President Biden is putting together his his cabinet and his administration. It's women. It's African-Americans. It's, you know, people from, you know, the LGBT um, community. Like, it, it, it looks like the country. 
it's not all white men, you know. And then, you know, speaking of the John Ossoff campaign, you know, very diverse campaign. You know, it's it, it was in Georgia. It was the, the headquarters in Atlanta. Atlanta is, in my opinion, the black mecca of, of the country. You know, I was the, the black advance director. Um, so, again, diversity across the board. And I think, you know, anyone who works on works for any, whether in politics or private sector, you should want to work for a company that embraces diversity. And if you're finding yourself working for a company or a campaign that that is not diverse, speak up, you know, um, speak up. And so, uh, you know, I'm blessed that, you know, every campaign I've worked on um, has been diverse and, and it looks like the country. That's an insider that is dope to me that I feel as though that's needed to have that, you know, like you said, to look like America, to look like us. Yep. And and, and, and again, you, you can tell when a company or yeah. is not diverse. I mean, yes. you know, let's go back into, was it a couple of years ago, you had the issue with Prada and Gucci and Burberry and some of the clothes they were putting out. Like, clearly, there was no black designer because the black designer would have told them not to put that out, right? Exactly. So, you, you, you know, with Fortune 500 companies and the, the mistakes they're making, clearly... There was no black leadership, right? But when you had that in place, internally, you can make sure those mistakes don't happen before it opens up in an external factor. Or like you said, they just didn't speak up. Or they didn't speak up. Yep. Yep. You you, you could have you could have had that, that one minority person at the table, but they didn't speak up. And so that person wasted their seat at the table for not speaking up. Big time. That representation. Does it take the matters? It does. Um, okay, last question. This this last one I have up my sleeve, uh, especially as like uh, a younger, a younger adult, and especially with how polarizing, mean like how polarized the country is with like Republican Democrat Democrat Republican. Like, how did you personally figure out like your, uh, I guess, parties? Pudding. like how did you figure out what was there for you like or what what you would end up deciding to work on yeah i think for everyone who's young who's coming up in, in politics first and foremost you you will probably begin to shape your political views based on how your parents political views are or your your upbringing and and so you know you know at the end of the day we're all citizens we're all you know americans or whatnot um and so I have to understand that, you know, I didn't grow up in the suburbs. I didn't grow up, you know, um, on, a, on, you know, maybe, you know, in a, in a conservative part of, of Texas. And so because of that, that doesn't, I, I can't judge someone because that's how they grew up. And vice versa, someone who grew up maybe in the suburbs or, in a, in a, or a conservative family in, in South Dakota is going to make up a state, um, they shouldn't be judging me because I grew up in an inner city of Baltimore. So I think first and foremost, depending on how you're raised and your parents, I think that begins to form your political views. As you get older and, you know, as you mature and you learn more, I think you begin to either stick with those political views that you had growing up or you branch out. And I personally think, you know, 
you know, a lot of folks, millennials or whatnot, that may have grew up in conservative families and conservative homes, they're realizing that as they get older, those are not their viewpoints. You got to think about it. Today's time versus 20, 30 years ago, you know, young people are more comfortable with speaking out. You know, they're comfortable to say, you know, I'm I'm pro-choice versus pro-life, even though they may have grew up in a pro-life family. Folks may say, you know what, I'm um, for you know, guns, gun control versus, you know, uh, yeah, when I was young, we had 20 guns in the house. I don't agree with that no more. Or, you know, folks are getting comfortable with now, you know, not having to be in the closet about their sexuality. Whereas, you know, if you grew up in a conservative home, you know, you, you wouldn't dare, you know, uh, you, you know, to, 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 to uh, you know, be in support of the LGBT um, community. And so, so I, I think you will find as time goes on, younger people who may grow, grew up in a conservative family or may grow up in the Republican Party may realize that they don't agree with some of those things. But then I also think you will have folks that, you know, because again, the lifestyle that they grew up in or their family that, you know what, they are truly conservatives. Um, um, so I, I think that's the first point is how you how you grew up and, and, and then, you know, how your, your family was. Um, for me, I grew up in a, in a Democratic household. I grew up in Baltimore City, which is, you know, majority um, Democrat. And then I also have a belief that, you know, why should I be getting in the way of someone else? Meaning, you know, you know, I, I remember, you know, a couple of years ago when the whole thing came out with same-sex marriage, we had a, a good portion of the country that was like, oh, no, two women, two men shouldn't be getting married. Why, why am I in someone's personal business, right? You know, that, that ain't got nothing to do with me. And so, um, you know, love who you love, marry who you marry. Um, why should I be stopping stopping you from, from loving who you love? And so, um, you know, that that's an example of, you know, as a Democrat and someone who's more and more liberal, um, you know, I understand that. But also on the flip side, as a Democrat, someone who, who's liberal, grew up in Baltimore City and, under, and understands crime, I'm also, you know, I believe that there should be some type of gun safety um, out there. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. I am I am a, a gun license owner myself. I go to the gun range. But I'm doing that in a, uh, a legal manner. I'm doing that in a, in a, in a safe, safe manner. Uh, and so, you know, to an extent, you know, I am someone who, you know, but I don't own a gun at the moment, but I may may choose to in the future again, I have my, my gun license. But I also believe at the same time, because of crime, because of mass shootings, that we should have just some basic, simple laws, such as a universal background check. Also, we should have some basic, simple laws that, you know, yes, you know, I'll we, we, we have a right to, to, to bear arms, but what do I need a, a, a machine gun for to, to, to keep my to keep my, 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 my house safe? And so, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm liberal and I'm a Democrat when it comes to, you know, we need to ban, we need to ban assault weapons. Again, those, those weapons are meant for war. You don't need that type of weapon, you know, in your house to, to feel safe. You know, there's other weapons you can use. So, so those are examples. Again, as you as you begin to mature and you go through life experiences, you will realize, you know, again, what political spectrum are you on? Are you more conservative? Are you more liberal? 
Are you Democrat? Are you Republican? Or are you just an independent? You know, you, know, you, you have, have no political, political leader. Leader. Uh, But at the end of the day, I think to answer your question, um, you know, I think when folks look at their upbringing, look at their family, that probably begins their political views. But as they get older and branch out, especially if you move out of, you know, you know your, your household and you may start your own family or whatnot, you, your political views could change. Um, so that that's where I'm at. Again, I grew up in a Democratic household. I grew up in a Democratic city. Uh, I align with Democrats and, and those views. Again, um, you have a choice to do what you want to do with your body as a woman. You have a choice to do what you want to do with who you want to love. But then I do agree that there should be some type of restrictions on things like like guns. Um, so that 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 that's that's my view. This is awesome. This is awesome, and I agree with this. Hey, hey, bro! Like, first of all, I'm jealous of your Fiji water. <laughs> <laughs> it looks delectable, doesn't it? Over <laughs> here, I just got a a carton of something over here. It's like, jeez. <laughs> like I, I mean as an adult yeah. as as you're like growing up and you're trying to figure out certain things and you're like well now I have a family do I what like what do I do to protect it well do I really want a gun but do I really need like 40 cl- 40 bullets or you know it's like one of those things like you have to be informed and these are the things that you think about especially when you're 18 and now you like you just get thrown into the world of voting like you should vote like Okay, what what am I voting about? Um, right. And okay, last question. I promise, last question. No, you good. <laughs> where, where, like, what are some resources for people that are just like people that are just going to be turning eighteen for the next election? Um, what are some resources that they <laughs> can go to to actually just find out about their local people and non-biased, uh, I guess, information? Yeah, um, you know, we live in the age of the internet, and so the internet, you know, can be your best friend, but also your worst enemy. Um, you know, first and foremost, you know, if you're 18 years old and you want to get involved in a process, the first thing you should do is register to vote. Um, every state website is different or whatnot, um, so just Google, you know, Board of Elections in your city or in your state, and, you know, that, that website should come up. Um, every state is different. Um, you know, thankfully in, in Maryland, uh, we have an easy process to, to register to vote and, and an easy process to actually vote. Um, but I think that's the first thing any 18 year old um, who is looking to be a, a civilly engaged um, citizen, first thing you should do is register to vote. Um, far as how do you, you know, support a certain candidate? Um, again, you're already going to have, even as an 18 year old, a certain belief um in you and so you know you'll start to hear names of candidates whether it's on the news or in a newspaper you know go to their websites read up on them you know most of these candidates they do town halls they do rallies they do meet and greets so go to them you know a lot of times you know we just learn about a candidate because we we watch it on television you know this past 2020 cycle every person who was running for the democratic nomination for president they had town halls, they had rallies, they had meet and greets. And so what's the one way to get to know those candidates is you go to those events. Um, so go to those events, they're free. Uh, it's the perfect way to, le- to learn about the candidate. You know, if it's a town hall, you get to ask your question. 
Um, you know, if it's a meet and greet, you get to have more intimate experience and you will figure out, oh, you know what? I like this candidate over this candidate or I like this person's policies over 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 this person's policies. Um, so register to vote. But, um, you know, look up their policies on their websites, but also just go to their events. Um, you know, I'm not, these are not fundraisers which you're paying to go to. These are, you know, public events, free events, and they're opportunities for you to get to learn who these candidates are. And, you know, let's, let's say it's five people running for mayor. If you go to all five of the mayoral candidates, town halls, or events, by the time you finish that fifth one, you should probably, you'll probably figure out who you like the best and who you will be, um, will be supporting. Um, so that, that's an easy way to get engaged, register to vote. But also, you know, if you don't know anything about the candidates, you know, go to their events and you, you will learn, you will see them in person. Um, and, you know, then based on your own political views, um, there will be certain things you will support um, and like about that certain candidate. Okay. Great. I'm done, Domo. Go ahead. Good. <laughs> now, also, add, you know, I mean, I know you know we're in the era of, of, of virtual things but even before COVID happened you know yeah. even if you can't make it to these events most of these candidates they show these events on like Facebook live or on their websites live so you know you know if it's a town hall in the middle of the day you're at work you can't get to it that's perfectly fine I'm sure if you go to their social media they're broadcasting it live um so take advantage of those you know new technologies we have Definitely. I was saying in the wake of uh, COVID, there's been a lot of virtual things going on. Um, even with the, um, I think with the holdings of uh, the elections and stuff, not only that, but the meet and greets, like the car, like they have the car pull-ups and stuff like that is totally different. Um, yeah. But um, with you being on the road, with you being with the young Dems and things of that nature, are there any stories that you would like to share with us? Um, I mean, as, a, as, a dope know. experience or something that you can talk about. A dope experience. Um, I was about to say there might be so many. <laughs> I see you going through your Rolodex here. <laughs> Every moment, um, I think is a dope moment is a dope experience or a dope moment um you know i've had the opportunity to to work from everyone from delegate all the way up to a sitting president um each of them are different different personalities um you know at the end of the day i've every every elected official i've worked for i've got to see them up close and personal and taking their job serious um, and then for the most part, I've got to see, see some of them in a, in a, in a way where you realize that they're human beings, just like you and I, like a lot of times, you know, sometimes we, we, we forget that elected officials, whether they're a president, a governor, a mayor, a city council person, they're human, just like you and I, they have a family, just like you and I, they laugh, just like you and I, they cry, just like you and I, they get mad, just like you and I, they get sad, just like you and I, they're human beings. Um, and so, you know, I've had opportunity to experience elected officials, again, taking the job seriously, but also had the opportunity to see them in those moments of laughter or see them in those moments of sadness or, or see them in the moments of, you know, of anger and frustration. Um, but I think it, 
again, it seals the deal that at the end of the day, they're human just like you and I. Um, they're real people just like you and I. They have emotions um, just like you and I. So any person I work for, all the experiences have, have been dope. They've all been different. Um, all of them, you know, have different personalities. For the most part, all of them are, are, have been funny. Uh, you know, uh, I told you how I got into this. We're working for the, the delegate, Sean Tarrant. He was a funny person. Um, and, and so, you know, that was that was nice to see, you know, and be around someone who was, you know, super funny. Um, you know, to being around when I worked for a state's attorney, Marilyn Mosby, um, she was someone who was just so chill, so relaxed. You can just have the most easiest conversation with her and she would engage back. And so, you know, that meant a lot. Um, um, to having, you know, working for Senator Mikulski, someone who had um, a lot of wisdom. Um, so e- each person is different. Um, but at the end of the day, like I said, they're all human, just like you and I. Respect. Did you take it to the court with Obama, though? Huh? Did you take it to the basketball court with Obama? I did. Unfortunately, I'm not a basketball person. Um, <laughs> I, I, I did get to, um, I was uh, working an event um, one day at the, uh, the White House. I think it was for the East Egg Roll. And I got to be on the basketball court at the same time as Obama. Cool. Um, so that was that was super cool. I have, have those photos. But no, I, I'm not a basketball person, so... Uh, I wouldn't even set myself up for that failure. <laughs> last question, last question. Which city got the best food, man? Come on. You technically you've been traveling all you've been around. Traveling, right? Yeah. Who got the best food, man? Like I've been stalking your Instagram. You know, Baltimore, the chicken boxes. You know, we came from. <laughs> Which has the best food? Wow, this is a tough one. Um, I mean, every city is different. They have their you know their staples or whatever um and i and i try to when i when i'm on the road i do my best of not eating at a food chain i try to go to you know small business support them and also try to eat whatever the food is in that state so i remember i was in maine what did i do i went and got a lobster lobster was good um but if i had to say who has the best Ooh. Oh wow! Um, Something you can like, gra- like if you could. That stood out. Right. I could put it on my fat man. <laughs> so, I'll, I'll I'll say two things. A, so for for I think you said you you watch my Instagram. I love these things called acai bowls, right? Mm. So every city that I would go to, I made it a, a point before I left to get an acai bowl from that city. And of all the cities I've went to, the city that had the best acai bowl besides the one that I get in Baltimore, which I think is ultimately the best, was Waco, Texas. Okay. In Waco, Texas, um, last year, when I was working for Mike Bloomberg, and Waco, Texas is a small town. Um, it's a, uh, if I'm correct, it's a heavily predominant, you know, um, you know, um, white town. Um, but they had the best acai bowl. Wow. And little Waco, Texas. Now, I would never go vacation in Waco, Texas. I was literally <laughs> there for work. Um, but the acai bowl was the best I ever had. Um, but I would have never known that without trying it. And so, you know, no matter which city you go to, whether it's vacation or work, you know, don't be afraid to embrace whatever that culture is when you're there. But far as food options, and maybe because I was just there and I spent a long time there, I would have to say Atlanta. Um, 
Atlanta. Um, I I feel bad saying this. Um, the, Don't the say two, it. What, two, what did you... The two months I was in Atlanta, I ate out every day. I didn't cook not once in the in Atlanta. Okay. And it's very costly. It's very costly and expensive. Don't get me wrong. But because I ate out every day, um, I I tried so much different places, different restaurants and whatnot. And so um it was great. It was great. The, the food was great. There was different restaurants. There's plenty of black owned restaurants like you know, you know, sometimes you can go to a city and be like, hey, you know, can you give me three black owned restaurants to, 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 to check out? And people stumble and they're like, um, I know one. Uh, I can't think of a second or third. Like people struggling to try to give you ideas on black owned restaurants. But in Atlanta, I remember I asked a friend, hey, can you know, can you give me a list of three black owned restaurants? And she gave me like 10. I'm like, I ain't asked for 10, but thank you. <laughs> um, so Atlanta, again, and maybe because I was just, I just came from there, I was there for two months. But I, um, you know, I did visit some restaurants more than once or twice, but I ate different food every day. Um, I rarely went to a, uh, any any um, uh, food chain restaurant. Um, you know, I was able to get things for a reasonable price. That, that, that's, another, that's another thing I will say is, you know, certain places you go to, you can get good food in a large portion for the low. <laughs> Um, Hello. <laughs> um, and you know, I ate good in Atlanta. You know, I wasn't spending fifty dollars a day on food. You know, I may have, I could have went to a restaurant and got full off of fifteen dollars. Wow. Uh, um, or or carry out or whatever it may, may have been. Um, but I, I would say Atlanta um, has 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 good food, followed by Philadelphia. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. All about Philadelphia. I won't ever front. Other than the Waco, Texas one, <laughs> I was expecting those answers. I'm, I'm not even trying. Atlanta, Atlanta, and, Atlanta and Philly. Like, I got some good Caribbean food up okay. in Philadelphia. Uh, I love Caribbean food. Um, surprised I didn't hit no Caribbean place down in, 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 in Georgia. Really? Uh, I didn't. Um, but, um, yeah, those two places would have to be um, the top two. Again, I, I've been to to so many cities, um, but those two stick out: Atlanta, Georgia, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Waco, Texas, for the Acai Bowl. <laughs> cool. So put that on your maps, people. <laughs> well, again, Gita, we know you're busy. Thank, Thank you. you again for your time. And again, people, stay on the lookout. This guy. He's awesome. And we appreciate you. Yes, sir. Thanks again. All right. All right. Peace. Thank you, sir. Thanks. All production for this show has been done by Rebel Media Group. Let's Let's build build your brand brand with with you. you. Contact us to take your business to the next level. You can email us at mediarebelgroup at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, like, share, and subscribe.